When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As twin parents, when we watch our kids grow and develop, we see our twins' unique relationship manifested through cycles of sibling rivalry and interdependence. These cycles can last days, hours, or minutes, but always seem to hinge on the element of sameness. So how can we help nudge our twins towards alternatives? Today, we're here to talk with Dr. Joan Friedman and learn how we can help our twins embrace their own individuality. This is Twin Talks. The ultrasound shows your babies to be healthy. What? Did you say babies? You're huge. Are you having twins? Are they natural? Which one do you like better? Twins, huh? My neighbor's cousin's brother's uncle's a twin. So can they read each other's minds? How do you tell them apart? Twins? You got a two for one. Do twins run in your family? Double trouble. You're not having any more, are you? At least you're not Octomom. If you're pregnant with twins or you're an experienced twin parent, odds are you've heard it all before. Now it's time to hear from the experts. This is Twin Talks, Parenting Times 2. Well, welcome to Twin Talks. Twin Talks is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for expecting and new parents of twins. I'm your host, Christine Stewart-Fitzgerald. If you'd like to listen to our show on the go, be sure to download the Parents on Demand app, and it's available in Apple and in Android. Not only can you hear our show, but you'll also discover more great podcasts geared towards parents and families. So today, let's introduce everyone who's joining our conversation, and uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and um, your experience. And I'm going to start with our speaker, Dr. Friedman, which you're in a very unique situation uh, speaking about twin individuality. Yes. Hi, I am an identical twin, and I have five children, and my last children are fraternal twin sons who are now 30 years old. So I have the unique situation of knowing sort of what it's like to be a twin inside and out. And since they were born, I've devoted my sort of professional career to studying twins, helping parents of twins, helping adult twins, actually now also helping clinicians who might be interfacing with twins, how to best understand what it's like to grow up as a twin and what you need to look for that's very special about their development. Wow. So not only are you the parent of twins, but being a twin yourself gives you a very interesting perspective. You've got a lot more empathy than than the rest of us parents here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not so much empathy, but since I focus on um, when twins don't get along. So, and again, that's a minority, not to scare everyone out there, but the way you can really understand what twins need is to sort of help help and study what goes wrong in between uh, twins sometimes as they grow up. So that's given me um, a unique sort of perspective to think about how to really help twins develop their individuality and their attachment without, you know, going into those areas where they have issues when they grow up and they have difficulty having a sense of themselves and difficulty getting along with their twin. And I want to turn this over to Sarah. So you are also the mom of twin boys. You want to tell us about yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah Wigdor-Roberts. I have identical twin boys who are five years old. I am not a twin. I definitely didn't grow up with twins or really have any in my family. So I'm kind of learning as I go with mine. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, Sunny, um, okay, and uh, we, we got a theme here going with ID twins because I think your girls are identical. Yes, and they're crazy. I mean, wonderfully crazy, but they're I'm, I'm kind of one of those strange parents that I, I've always wanted twins. I always wanted to know twins run in my family, and I kind of was a twin stalker. I think I stalked you a little bit, Christine, <laughs> um, before I became a twin mom because uh, Christine was on some other podcasts that I produce, and whenever someone would say, oh, I have twins, my eyes would just bug out of my head. I would just be so obsessed with it, and I, I don't know if I was, I was an only child. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but I was just completely obsessed with twins. And my story is um, I had uh, two boys already and my husband and I, we got pregnant and we went in and they they said it was only one baby. We had no reason to think it was going to be anything else. We got pregnant naturally and whatever. And uh, then it wasn't until like my 11 or 12 week appointment I went in to you know, just make sure there's like, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes kind of thing. And uh, I walked in and they're like, oh, this is a twin appointment. And I'm going, what are you talking about? This is a twin appointment. I have no idea what you're saying. And she's, she didn't realize that she was giving me the news, right? <laughs> she just thought that the doctor didn't book her for a twin appointment. And she had two babies to look at in the amount of time that they only scheduled one baby. And so that is kind of my crazy story of how I found out I was twins. And my life has never been the same. They are such a joy. I am obsessed with them and they're amazing. So I have four kids total, uh, my two boys and then my identical girl twins who are now five and a half. Five and a half. That's yes. a good age. Yes. What a story. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and uh, this is Christine and I am also have ID girls as well. And so our, our first kids, so they are now nine years old. So I'm like, gosh, I know in the twin world, that just seems like it's so old. Not mine. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, that's true. And you know, I have to say, I I wanted to have the experience. I thought, you know, gosh, this this twin thing—it's it's just such an anomaly. I mean, not for us, but I'm like, well, you know, just going through all the appointments and having two. I'm like, well, what is it like to have just one kid? So my curiosity, I guess, it was kind of maybe in the reverse. You know, I said, well, I, I'd like to have maybe just one kid, one pregnancy. You know, one time. You know, the normal stuff. So so we went on to have another girl. Um, and she's six, and I don't know. She she gets beat up by her <laughs> by her older sisters, or like they're 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 the mean girls, and she's the the young one, and she holds her own. I got to say that. So it's been really interesting. And so three girls, and I think we said three girls is good. We like that. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe Michaela is now six because I remember when you were pregnant with her and we were we were podcasting when you were pregnant with her and I was like, oh my gosh. And now, I mean, it makes sense. My kids are older too. It's just, it's hard to believe. They, they just grow up so fast. <laughs> they do. Even if you're not even watching podcasts, they grow up so quickly. It's amazing. <laughs> Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. guys, 
guys. So to kick off our show today, before we get into our main topic of embracing twin individuality, we have a segment called Twin Trivia. And uh, you may guess by the name of the title of this segment, we are going to quiz our parents and our experts today on, you know, having twins and and see how much everybody knows about twins. And hopefully this won't be embarrassing. This is supposed to be fun. I don't know how competitive everyone is, but uh, let's see. What's the prize? <laughs> we need to be a prize. This is a pat on the back saying thank you for for being a, a twin mom. That's what this is. So yeah, so I'm going to go through. These are true, false, right? So you got a 50-50 shot. I want to be fair. And uh, let's see how we do here. So the first true, false question is this. Twins have the same fingerprints. Christine, what do you think? I'm going to say false because I was reading that that's one thing and it has to do with how they're shaped in the womb. So I'm going to say false. Okay. Joan? Uh, False. I agree. Okay. And Sarah? I am also going false. Uh, Now I want to know how many of you are just like listening to what Joan said. No. no, Trust me. I've answered in my head. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I trust you. I trust you. And you're all right. You're all right. So the answer is false. Uh, It says fingerprints actually get created in utero. So this is back to what Christine said and very based on a baby's contact with amniotic fluid, the umbilical cord and whatever else is in there, which I find that funny. What else? Whatever else is in there. Um, So every person's fingerprints are different, even if they're are an identical twin, which is what makes it helpful like for forensics and stuff like that, right? So we can track people down and you have your own identity, which kind of goes into today's topic, right? Because we're talking <laughs> about being individuals and at least we know that all twins have different fingerprints. At least they have that that's their own, right? But we're really working on individuality beyond the fingerprints. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> We've got to work the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, we got to really work it. <laughs> All right. Now, this this next question kind of goes along with that. Identical twins have identical DNA. True. It's Joan. Okay. Yes. True. Christine? Yes. Yep. True. I'm also going to have to go true, but I feel like there is but there is some difference that I remember somewhere. It's just not the DNA level. It's the epigenetic level, but yes. that's, not, that's not the question. So are you trying to give us a trick question here? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not. Actually, I kind of am trying to give you a trick question. Okay, so, okay, so I, I should have told you guys in the beginning that this is from an article from The Bump, right? Okay, and let me just tell you what they said in regards to this. So they say the answer is false. And then they, and then they back it up. They say, well, sort of. It says identical twins share about 99.9999 and that probably goes on for infinity, percent of the same DNA. But it's not quite 100%, which is why the twins you know probably have some differences, like a mole or birthmark. Researchers have even found an identical twin who carried a gene for a certain disease, which his twin didn't. Differences between twins can increase over time as a result of environmental factors, and genes can even change slightly. Well, I, I know like the astronauts, right? So yes. remember they did the, uh, okay, and I'm totally forgetting their names, but right? One of them spent a whole- Scott Kelly and somebody else, right? Yeah. Okay. But you know what? That article is, you know, if they say 99.9, that is a trick question yeah. because all the amazing, right. interesting research now is about using identical twins to study epigenetic changes. Yes. And that's why one twin might have diabetes or one might have breast cancer and the other one doesn't. And that's how they're studying all these amazing things to help be able to find the markers for these diseases. So what is bump? We're not using that as a... Um, <laughs> a yeah, well, I don't and think they did say, we have our own expert to compare 
share this. Okay, too, so guys. we were actually all right. Yeah, so, yes. I um, like yes. that story yeah. technology. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question: Twins skip a generation. True or false? False. I I'd say false. I say false too. Okay, you guys are too smart for this. So the answer is false. It says, um, it says, okay, so fraternal twins can run in families, but there's actually no evidence that it matters which generation you're in. So if you have a parent who's a fraternal twin, there's still a chance you can have twin babies. But you do hear that, right? Haven't you ever heard, oh, it's not going to happen to me. It's going to skip a generation or whatever. Well, uh, I think a little bit have it had to do with because you can get it, only the mom can produce the extra egg to have fraternal twins. So if her dad was carrying the gene, she would like because her grandma, for example, was a fraternal twin. That's why it looks like it skipped a generation. Well, when I was growing up, since I'm considerably older than all of you, that was something that was talked about all the time. They everyone said they skip a generation. I think it's because they had no genetic knowledge back then, and it was some some sort of a kind of a belief that got passed down. People saying this and saying that, but with, it, it had no that I know, no scientific background. It was like sort of what people felt or saw in families or something, but everyone used to say that. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> interesting. That's yeah. interesting. But it's not true. So if you guys if you guys hear someone say that, now you can say, no, I know for a fact that is not true. Okay, last question before we wrap up our segment. Animals can tell identical twins apart even when people can't. True. I, yeah, I, I think probably true. I'm, I'm going to guess smell or something, right? I think it's probably true only because I know that little children can tell identical yeah. twins apart when adults can't. So I'll go for true also. Yeah. So it says it's true, but it's only based on one study. So it says in one study, <laughs> highly trained police dogs were able to sniff out the difference between identical twins, even when they lived in the same place and presumably were exposed to all the same smells. How did hmm. they do it? No one really knows. So, yeah, well, we know that the animals can be pretty smart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like Christine said, they can smell different things, you know? My dog smells a ton of things. I'm like, what? Are, why are you going crazy? Well, you need, he's on some sort of scent, right? And he's, he's off to the races. So we know that, that they have uh, some, some skills in that area. Well, it's so funny because I'm working with a set of twins and they both have the facial recognition on their iPhones and their identical twins. And the one twin took the phone of the other because <laughs> they did. <laughs> the phone did not recognize the difference. Oh unlike, my God. Unlike the police dog. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a parlor trick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're here today with Dr. Joan Friedman. She's a prominent and well-respected twin expert who shares her passionate views and insights about twins and their emotional needs throughout the world. And as identical twin and the mother of five, including fraternal twin sons, she is ideally suited to do this task. And we're here today to talk about how parents can help their twins embrace individuality. Well, welcome, Dr. Friedman. And um, well, first of all, how do you define individuality? I mean, we're kind of using this term quite a bit, but but what does it really mean in your world? 
Well, you know, so interesting when you, you know, asked me to think about that, I thought, yeah, how do I define individuality? It's so, I mean, I use it all the time, bandy it about all the time. And I was thinking, okay, well, first of all, you have to use it kind of in a developmental way because individuality for a four-year-old is not going to be the same as individuality for an older person. But I guess I thought in terms of younger children, I thought in terms of twins, I was reminded of what a little girl once said to me. She said, I miss my twin, but I don't need her. Um, I think she was about, you know, maybe six or seven. And I thought that was a really good way to kind of conceptualize it. It's, it's, in a, it's being able to feel that you're comfortable with yourself and who you are without feeling that you need a kind of another half or another person to make you feel secure or whole or integrated or capable. So I guess I'm sort of, and, and again, and again, for adult twins as well. It's a person who feels that he or she can be okay by himself in the world and handle what they're supposed to handle. And they might miss their twin and the companionship, but they don't need that twin to complete them. Huh. That's really So basically, that's a really, and you know, I love the way that you express that because I think that's something for me as a parent, I can probably talk to my girls about the idea of being okay by yourself. I mean, that's, that's such a, (laughs) I mean, it's a big concept, but broken down into very childlike terms that I think is even, even a six-year-old could understand and not needing the other one. Well, you know, I was, you know, because I grew up, you know, as an identical twin and my, my Jane and I were never, ever having any kind of separate activity. So when Johnny and David were born, you know, I was a crazy woman. You think Sonny was crazy being (laughs) twin obsessed. You can't imagine the stuff that I did um, to make sure. Sure, that they had a sense of being separate and having alone time and and alone time with me, alone time away from one another, so that they could feel that they could function by themselves when they were separated. So it was often something we we talked about as they got older that you know you're doing this he's doing that and you know you need to know what it's like to be on a team by yourself you need to know what it's like to go to a you know go to a gym class by yourself or go to day camp by yourself so it it's all kind of a situation of helping twins recognize that the experiences they can have on their own will be so important to them as individuals, and yet they bring their own sense of their individuality back into the twin connection. That the twin connection is just not all who they are. It's part of who they are, but it can't comprise their entire identity because then they're not going to develop an individual sense of self, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. So that's interesting. So the twin connection, it's not, you're saying it's not all that they are, but it's part of, it's one component of being a unique individual. Exactly. But I think again, and it's not the twins fault so often, it's it's parents, it's society, this expectation that the twin connection, that's the most important part about who these two people are, because everyone makes a big deal about it. And of course, it's cute and has all these wonderful positive aspects. But it's really hard because while society really sort of celebrates that twinship when they're young, society also mandates by the time they're adolescents or older that they should be well-functioning singletons. So 
they're really, in a way, not given the opportunity to sort of develop from the cute little you know, twindom that they share into a very competent single person, unless our, our parenting helps them find opportunities in order for that for them to do that. And without that, then the twin connection becomes much more important, much more a sense of who they are, and then develops, you know, what Christine talked about earlier, that interdependence, that when it's excessive, really interferes with that sense of being an individual. Wow. Now, now you mentioned you said that like kind of our society is sort of obsessed with this twin. We we kind of were joking around it, the the twin obsession. I mean, I think before we became twin parents, we're like, oh, that's so cool, and you know the the idea of you know the the twins, and you know we get celebrity status, so to speak, right? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it almost sounds like this twin connection is really more. It's 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 emphasized and enforced from an external standpoint. It's not always internally, but the kids as as children, they're learning it from the outside in that, you know, hey, it's it's really great to be a twin and you've got all these unique things. And it's it sounds like it's it's more emphasized than it is the individuality, at least when they're young. Well, yeah, you know, and you and yes, and of course, and you know, if you're walking with a family and there's a twin stroller, who do they pay attention to? Right. You know, it's 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 the twins. So there is so much external, absolutely external, environmental sort of you know emphasis on the importance of twins, and you know, and it's it's very hard balance because twins get this from teachers, they get it from other kids, they get it from lots of, you know, lots of other places. And so if the parents are also adding to that and not adding in the component that we're trying to talk about today, which is trying to, you know, trying to bring individuality into that twin connection, then they are going to get a very skewed idea that, wow, this is the greatest thing about me. I'm a twin. And yet I write often about as twin gets older, it's not so much about being noticed, which you're noticed, but it's so much more about being known. You want to be known for yourself. You want to be known for who you are. So if you haven't had that experience and your parents and your family haven't helped you you know, emphasize the sense of feeling and being known, then you're kind of the default position is sort of being a twin and whatever else that brings to you. And of course, there's positive things toward being a twin. I'm exaggerating it. If that's all that someone feels that's unique and special and different about them, that that kind of falls apart and fragments as you get older because people need more than just being a twin to make them feel like a like a whole integrated, valuable person. Oh, yes. Now, you know, it's interesting. You, you touched on, you said the parents' role in all this and that that the, the message that the, you know, the kids are getting from a lot of different places is that, oh, this twin connection is so important. It's, it's the most dominant thing about, you know, what makes them special. And I think you're saying that, well, the parents really need to play the role in saying, no, um, it's actually not the, the most important thing. But what about parents? I mean, I think we've all been been guilty at times of really relishing this this uniqueness. And I mean, okay, my my girls, I dressed my girls in the you know the same clothes when they were little, and you know we went out and you know the stroller, and and I mean, come on, we we enjoy the attention. So 
I'm imagine. I think it's it's probably hard for some parents to sort of give that up, and and maybe they don't want to emphasize the the individual because it's so much fun, right? You know, having twins and you know really you know relishing that. I mean, is that unhealthy? You know, what what can happen as a result if if we don't make a concerted effort to emphasize individuality? Well, you know, absolutely that, you know, the, the, you have to understand that having been dressed alike, you know, t- until I was 10 years old and having all that attention, I mean, I, I come from the worst possible place with kind of like not thinking all those things are good ideas. But I understand there is a narcissistic value to emphasizing the twinship. And I think it's it, it's important because it is so difficult having twins, giving birth to twins, you know, kind of recovering from the first year of twins. That The, the wonderful thing about going out and getting that narcissistic boost was wonderful, is wonderful and very needed by a lot of parents because it's so depleting and difficult you know, that first year or two when you're taking care of two babies at one time. Mm-hmm. So, but after that, you know, then it it really does have to shift um, from, you know, a, the sort of the parental narcissistic, you know, extension to really thinking about the fact that you're creating and parenting two unique individuals. So there has to be a transition where you begin to focus on the individuality of each twin. And I think in our family, because of my experience, you know, we grew, all the other children and Johnny and David too, were growing up with this idea that it's great being a twin, but there's a lot of hardships and there's difficulties involved. So, you know, when you talk to your twins, even to a five-year-old, and you realize that one's not getting what the other one's getting, or they're not exactly the same, or things just aren't fair, or they're not always equal, or, you know, one's getting more attention than the other. It's like, it's really important to talk about those things really early on so they don't expect that growing up, life is going to give them everything the same and everything equal. So it's it's a wonderful thing to talk about the fact that, well, yeah, you look a lot alike, but you're such two very different people. And I know all of you know that your identical twins have very unique personalities and very different temperaments. So, and I'm sure you're constantly telling other people that they're very different because a lot of people can't appreciate how very different they are because they see that they look so alike and they make all these kind of strange assumptions. So, when you're when you have an identical twin in in kind of a separate activity from her twin or his twin i think that gives that twin a real good example of what it's like to socialize on her own make friends on her own be alone in a class be alone in an activity i know it sounds so simple but it's yet it's so important because if we as parents don't create something where they get a sense of their own individuality in in connection to other children without the twin there. They can't develop that aspect of themselves that we've talked about earlier, which is I'm an individual and I'm also a twin. Wow. Now, you, you know, it's interesting. You said that um, we should start on it early on. And and I'm curious what what is early on because I, I you know when when they're little that's when it's it's really tough and just logistically you know you've got two babies preschoolers 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, they're either they're usually together most of the time. So when should we be starting on it? And and what are some practical ways to to start encouraging that? Okay, well, I, again, you're right. It, it depends on everyone's family circumstances and the other children and logistics and their financial resources. So all of that's going to kind of come in as a criteria. But it can start, and again, you have to start very gingerly, and you have to explain it. You know, I might like this one woman said, "Well, they're both taking tennis lessons," and I go, "Well, you know, why are they? Why do they both have to take tennis lessons? You know, it it sometimes doesn't even occur to a mom of twins that they actually can be doing something different. So that, in and of itself, is like getting the mindset that." They, they don't have to do the same things. And I know with identical twins, it's difficult because I know probably 90% of the time they both enjoy the same activities. So it's just a question of finding one where, you know, one maybe likes dance and one takes gymnastics and then maybe they switch around and they do the other class the next session around. But it's like, and if they don't want to do it and there's and you're getting sort of resistance, I think you just have to say and explain, you know, we really want you to, to learn to be able to be with other children without your sister there or without your brother there. And, you know, it might feel difficult at first, but I think you're really going to like it. And actually, that's really, they do like it. They end up really finding a sense of their own independence and a sense of their own capability of managing tasks, socialization tasks and peer inter, you know, peer relationships. They sort of get the experience of being on their own with it. I've talked to a lot of parents who've been reluctant to do this and then they do do it. And then it turns out to be wonderful. And you're, I think you'll find that it's going to be easier for one than it is for the other, possibly, maybe not. But so for the one that struggles, even more important that he or she, that you're putting them in that situation so that they can develop skills to kind of be on their own. And again, it's a short period of time. It's a class. It's an hour, but it's a repetitive thing, maybe for five sessions or 10 sessions. I think it's it's such a gift to give your twins, especially identical twins, this experience of being away and finding out what that's like. You see, you know, I want to go to Sarah because I think your boys are still fairly young. So I'm curious, what have you done with them in terms of just activities or or messages? Because I think that's, um, I mean, how, and they are, how old are they again? They are five. They actually graduate preschool in two weeks. So um, <laughs> exciting. Know, exciting and scary <laughs> and sad all rolled into one. You know, I will say we've always had the logistical difficulties of my husband and I have different work schedules and different days off. So when one of us has the kids, the other's at work, and they're not at the age where we can do drop off activities. So I have found at least with us, we have kept the activities together so far. Um, But my big thing is I've always had them separate at preschool. Because I want to each have them in their own space that's theirs, that they have to meet other kids, that they have to make their own friends. So I think that's really been working. And I know we talk about it a lot because they didn't want to be in separate classes. And um, I know we've been talking about the transition to kindergarten and talking about moving two separate classes in kindergarten. And again, 
they are really hesitant because they do want to be together. So we do talk a lot about how we want them to make their own friends and meet other kids. And then, you know, this great concept of you guys will have double the friends because you get to meet your brother's friends as well. I love that. Sarah, that's wonderful. I mean, that's just what I did with Johnny and David. It was, they were definitely in different preschool classes and went into you know, all through school, we're always in separate classes. And it was so nice for them. I mean, they ended up sharing the same group of friends, but them having the own their own separate classroom experiences from a very early age was so wonderful. And I know it's harder with identicals and fraternals. And I, I applaud you for plodding on with it, even though they're hesitant, because I know it's so easy to say, oh, okay, you want to be together. Oh, maybe it's going to be traumatic if you're separated. I mean, their parents make so many excuses when they hear that their twins want to be together because they're really not thinking or they don't know that down the line, getting through this resistance or this hesitation or this wish just to be more comfortable is something that's so important for their overall development as they get older. So I really applaud you for that because I, you know, again, because I I hear mostly problems. It's the problems when, because this hasn't been done thoughtfully early on, is when they they get you know into second third grade and they're and they're together all the time and there's so much competition and you know one is more miserable than the other and they're fighting a lot and and you know but the idea of separating them is still too traumatic because by that time they are still so interdependent that the idea of being separate is is really hard so if you do it sooner rather than later, I think it's so preferable because they come to understand that that's what's expected. They're going to be, you know, in different classes and they expect that and they and they they handle it. And that develops resilience. It's so funny. I remember Johnny and David were like in middle school and they went and they went to see the counselor or whatever. And and she's saying to them, why do you always have to be in separate classes? Aren't twins supposed to be together? And they <laughs> and, and oh they, they looked at her and they said, do you know my mother? <laughs> we have to be in separate classes. So, you know, it's like, again, it's a, it's a push. It's a struggle. And, you know, most people just don't understand. There's, there's such an important psychological relevance beyond the academic. Do you know what I mean? It's just an overall constellation helping toward the development of an individual person and a twin. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Good for you, Sarah. I, I applaud you. Most people don't do what you do, especially in the face of them saying, I don't want to. So good for you. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation talking about how we can help our twins and towards that individuality, especially for our school age and older kids. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, 
Well, welcome back. Today, we're talking with Dr. Joan Friedman about how parents can help their twins move towards positive individuality. And we've been talking really about kind of, you know, encouraging twins through different activities and in the sort of the preschool age and then into school age. And I know you've been saying that it really, you know, we have to start out um, when they're young. And, And as they grow older, Jordan, maybe, you know, what are some of the kind of the conversations and kind of the key messaging points that we need to be be telling them that it's that it's okay to be a twin and being apart. What do we what should we be talking to them about? Well, I want to tell you this is a very normal problem that um, someone will contact me about. My twins are, they used to share friends and now one twin is turning all the other friends against her twin, and I don't know how to handle this, and uh, what do I do? So it's a very tricky situation because who do you hold responsible for that? You you know, if, if a twin is saying that kind of a conflict sort of embodies the whole thing about twins and rivalry and interdependence. So a a parent might say to this twin who's pushing all the friends against the other twin, you're terrible. This is wrong. You can't exclude your sister. You have to stop doing this. This isn't fair. And so the other twin with all, you know, with the twin with the power is, is victimizing her sister. So, and and now is supposed to take care of the sister. And probably the reason that she's victimizing her sister is because they probably haven't had the opportunity to sort of be away from one another. And so this kind of power struggle develops. So, you know, what do you say? What do you do? I think what you do is you have to talk to the, the twin who's victimizing her sister and saying she's trying to have her own friends and her own relationships. It's, it's not okay for you to be sort of becoming powerful and telling everybody else what to do. And then the twin who's feeling left out, you have to try to empower her by saying, you need to speak up. You need to talk to these friends. You need to figure out a way to find your own way of connecting and not allowing your sister to be taking away everything from you because it's just not the right thing to do. But it's, it's, this is really an awful situation. And I feel like these things could have been headed off earlier if parents were making twins responsible for making their own friends and doing more of their own things. Because I feel like that power dynamic is just a dynamic of the twinship that's getting played out with the peer relationships. So I don't even know if I'm asking, answering your question, but it goes back to the whole situation of saying to a twin, you know, this is your friend you don't have to share this friend. Um, and then you have to work on the other twin making her own friends because that dynamic comes out of twins having to share everything and getting angry about it and then then pulling the stuff with one another. And it's it's really an outcome of the twin dynamic. That was a horrible explanation. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but no, but, but I mean, one of the things I'm hearing is that you're saying that parents need to put some degree of responsibility on the kids themselves. And I think we're, we're talking more about, you know, the, the, the school age kids and, and probably, you know, maybe it's more in junior high or, or, or older. But we're saying, hey, you have some degree of responsibility 
in, you know, making friends and creating that sort of separateness. So is, and is, is that something that we should be, you know, talking about early on? I mean, like, you know, okay, my girls are nine um, and they are starting to develop their own friends at school, which I was, you know, really excited about. It is because often they do, often they don't, often identical twins don't really make their own relationships. They, and so it's great that they are making separate friendships because, I mean, if you, I've interviewed so many adult twins, identical twin girls, and they say, we didn't make any friends. We didn't need to, we had each other. And that's created problems for them in their adult life as they try to make individual friends. So I'm really happy to hear that because a lot of adult identical twins don't make best friends. They have a built-in best friend. And while it sounds wonderful, it creates issues or can create issues down the line. So I think we're talking about the sort of the the social, building those social skills. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking from, from a really practical standpoint, you know, I'm wondering if maybe I should, you know, as a parent say, hey, you know, as, as a goal, beginning of the school year, let's say, maybe we, we should make a goal of, of, hey, I'd like each girl to make, you know, one friend and we do, you know, at least one individual activity together or something like that. I, I don't know if that's a, a practical way of sort of, you know, forcing them to do something on their own. Well, I like what I like what you said. Is you again? None of us can force things on it unless we find that there is an opportunity to do that, right? So you're seeing that they're making individual friends. They're making attempts at that. So so then what you're doing is you're not forcing that, but you're seeing a situation and you're seizing the opportunity to make something more of it. You're not forcing it, but you see that there's an opening and you're going for it, which I think is great. If, you know, if the goal is to help them do that, then I think, you know, it, you know, giving them that that sort of goal or that option or that sort of a endpoint is a great idea. Because you are giving them the message that this is something that you'd really like them both to be able to do or to have, which is a semblance of separate friendships. Absolutely. So it's not forcing it, but it's like, oh, I see the timing's right. I'm going to go go for that and, and kind of broaden the opportunity or make it sweeter. And maybe we can just use that as incentives too. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, Sarah, you know, with, with your boys, I mean, they're, they're young, but, you know, maybe, maybe that's something like you could offer up some type of special activities, you know, if the boys, you know, once, maybe once they're in school or, or, you know, do special play dates or something like that. I don't know. Has that ever come to mind? Well, it's something where I definitely, once we get to the age where we can have play dates that, are drop-off playdates because I think when they're still young and you have to be there, it's almost impossible to have a playdate that doesn't include both. So it's something where I think going forward, I think that's a great idea. And I know that's what I'm kind of trying to sell to the kids. And it's also part of it's, you know, with their transition going into kindergarten, they're very sad about leaving their friends behind because their preschool is not near where their new school is going to be. So I think to them, friends are something fun and exciting. So I'm, I am, in a sense, using that as the incentive of, hey, look at our new friends. And hopefully in a year or two, I think when we get to the point where we can do drop-offs, it can be, hey, why don't you make a special plan with your friend and you make a special plan with your friend? And if we do it at the same time and I drop them off, mommy gets an hour to herself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Sarah, you know, you might also that's you know get into a situation from time to time where one boy is invited for a play date and the other one isn't. 
And, you know, you can try, of course, to, you know, make the other boy, you know, have a play date, but this often happens. And so you drop the one off that does, and then you say, you know, this, you're going to have special time with me. This is going to be a special time, you know, your brothers and so and so, and you and I are going to do something fun today while he's with his friend. So you don't have to feel like you can make it all equal. You may not be able to make two play dates at once, and that's okay because he's going to get alone time with you. But if you if you get into the mindset that they both have to have one and you're not going to do it unless they both have one, then it's going to be harder. So think about it that the special alone time with you, if one is going off with a friend. And then then that's, again, a way of trying to get away from, you know, trying to make things the same and equal and fair for each of our twins, which, of course, can't happen, but we always try because we feel guilty. And then, you know, it drives us crazy. So think about the play dates in that way, too. I think it'll be helpful and take some pressure off if one doesn't have one and the other one does. We can just call it a mommy play date. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which are a lot more fun sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to share mommy for once. Well, it's, it's a treat. You yes. Know? <laughs> so, okay, no, I, we've been talking about, you know, doing, you know, the right thing early on and getting them separated. Is, is it ever too late? I mean, if, if the kids are, I, I don't know, middle school, if, if we've got dads and moms listening now and they said, oh, you know, I really haven't done any separate activities, is there, you know, can they still start doing it and finding those opportunities? Well, I think what happens, and this is what I've gotten a lot of calls about, is, is that sometimes in middle school and later on, you know, the twins themselves are, are desperate to differentiate. They're desperate to be known to be who they are. So one might become like a goth, you know, and one is not. But so it becomes an extreme, an extreme way of differentiating. And I think when this happens, parents get really upset. And instead of understanding what it's about, they don't understand that underneath it all, there's this kind of drive toward wanting to be known as an individual. They get really upset and they want the the twin who seems more mainstream to try to convince the non-mainstream twin to kind of stop doing that. And so, you know, that's a problem. And, And of course, you don't want a parent of twin to sort of disrupt whatever it is that they're trying to do. But this is their way that they are trying to differentiate because they haven't had any opportunity to do that before. So I would just caution parents that if some sort of huge dramatic shift in an appearance or something and they get alarmed by it, rather than making that one twin responsible for the other, just kind of see it as, you know, kind of a glorification of each twin trying to be related to by other people as an individual. Because I've often find that one parent will freak out (laughs) rather than recognizing it as a statement of individuality. So we shouldn't freak out if our kids dye their hair purple or shave their head. We're just like, okay. Not at all. (laughs) Finally, they'll be able to, oh, yeah, you're so-and-so. Oh, okay, I get it. You have the bald head. You know. (laughs) I love that. So you guys, I have I have actually a funny story that just happened like literally as we're talking. I had to mute myself cuz my twins came in and they each planted like in a little cup. They had a seed that they got from school there in, in TK whatever. And they had a little seed that th- we planted it the same day. And in one cup, my one twin, her plant is thriving. Her plant is like going like it's just going crazy, right? And 
And there, and my other twin was so upset because Sissy's plant was growing and hers had not begun to grow yet. It's still below the soil. And they both were like really upset. Like they were comparing each other. And like, and it just reminded me of our, the whole conversation we're having today about how I was very careful with my words with my one twin whose plant wasn't growing because she felt like she was insufficient. Like if Sissy's doing this, I, I, my plant should be doing this too. And I'm trying to explain to her, honey, you know, it depends on the soil and, you know, the sun and how maybe we buried this one a little bit further down. Don't worry. You don't have to compare yourself to your sister all the time. But I thought that was an interesting example of how they think they, you know, because we're twins, our plants should grow at the same time. And that's not reality, right? (laughs) That is such a wonderful metaphor. I'm going to have to write a blog about that. That is amazing. It's true. It's fantastic. Nurturing, yes, we're all different, even the plants. We we should, you know, do that as preschool experiments, right? And have them start in the very beginning. Look, they're different. (laughs) But isn't it funny because they see the world through their identicality, you know? And and why wouldn't they? It's just what it's just what they do. Right. So interesting. Okay, so one last question here. So I gotta say, you know, we we see in the headlines, you know, sometimes we see like um, pictures of these older ladies, um, you know, I, I got to say like, you know, sort of the, the, the oldest twins in Britain, you know, that are like a hundred years old and, you know, talks about their life and how they, you know, spent their, their whole entire life together. And like, maybe one got married and the other didn't, and they still dress alike. So I don't know. Is, what do you think? Is it cute or like completely unhealthy? <laughs> Well, I think when you're a hundred and everyone's husband has died and your twin sisters, I think it's probably really nice and fine at a hundred. But you know, I wrote my last my last book is Twins in Session, and it's all it's for clinicians and educators about how to understand twin development. So of course, it's all problem oriented and all you know about um, you know psychological issues that evolve when you know twins don't grow up feeling that they're separate enough. So you know some of it is cute. Some of it isn't. But, you know, basically the way you evaluate it is is if you see that as twins get older, how how are they able to navigate on their own? You know, it's basically maybe even like sort of comparing them if you have singletons. I have so many calls, you know, twins ready to go to college. They've never really been separated. They decide to go to different colleges. So basically, they're just, they have to go as singletons to different colleges, and they've never been on their own. So it's it's all about how, how they're capable of navigating themselves, their social life, their, their um, ability to kind of study on their own, to, to make friends on their own, to have a relationship that isn't a replacement for a twin. There's all these really fascinating aspects of of growing up as a twin that singletons, you know, know nothing about. But singletons go to school on their own. They don't have a twin, you know, accompanying sort of them. Tagging not, along, they, right? They, yeah, <laughs> they don't yeah, have a shadow, you know, right? It, they don't have a shadow. They don't have a best friend. They don't have a, you know, a roommate. They don't have a soulmate. You know, they don't, they don't, they have to sort of be able to cope a little bit better on their own. And that's that's what twins have to learn is to cope better on their own, as well as really value the very special connection and attachment that they have. And it's not easy all the time to be able to, to navigate both. 
No, absolutely. Okay, well, we'll wrap this up. We just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Friedman, for joining us today. And thank you to Sarah, our panelists, and sharing your experience. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Okay, so as we're wrapping up today's show, uh, we have our final segment, and this is a segment we call Special Twin Moments. So we all know as parents of twins, sometimes our twins do things, it doesn't matter if they're fraternal or identical, but they just totally warm your heart and make you wish you were a twin just to experience whatever they're going through. And I thought this was a, a great comment from a mom. Her name's Nicole, and she was sharing her twin moment. She says, my boys have their own beds, but after many mornings of finding them in the same bed, we finally push the beds together. They sleep across each other and they say they're going to get a house together when they get older. I hope they always want to have a strong bond. I love my twins. So I just thought that that was kind of a a cute thing. And it, it made me think of well, how do my twins sleep? Like, this is more about just a bed, right? This is more just, you know, them wanting to be together in general. And and, and my twin, my girls actually share a full bed. Jonah, I was I was curious if you had any input. I feel so bad because I feel like I do everything. My twins do everything together. And this whole conversation today has been about how we need to start kind of separating them. Any any thoughts on, on the bed situation since that's what Nicole was talking about here? You know, I know everyone, like, after they talk to me, they want to run away. Uh, my... my- <laughs> My bed story is this when, you know, so I had three older kids, Johnny and David were born, Johnny and David and all the other kids had their own rooms. They had a schedule, they had a ritual, you know, bedtime, blah, blah, blah. Johnny and David were born and Johnny and David slept in our bed until, because we were just too tired to put them in their bed. Probably they were like, I don't know, even like two or three years old where they finally were were in their own beds. So I am the last person to ask about, you know, beds. Uh, and they didn't get their own room until our older son went to college and they were eight. So by they were right. sharing a room and then, you know, so it's not about the beds, you know, it's about, you know, the beds again are a metaphor like the plants um, that Sonny <laughs> talked about, you know, it's just, I don't know, the be- it's cute that they're in bed together. I, you know, it's like they have a closeness. There is a twin bond. And when they get older, you know, 30 and older, it extends beyond their beds. And you can find so many wonderful things that that you get warm, heartwarming about their closeness and their connection and their intimacy. So again, the beds are a metaphor and they don't have to mean anything terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so relish it for now because it won't always be yeah. that way, right? <laughs> exactly. Take pictures because it's really cute yeah. sometimes when you find them all cuddled up together. I'm like, that is the cutest thing. <laughs> but take separate pictures too. Everybody forgets. Take pictures of them separately. So remember to do that. (laughs) Well, that wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Twin Talks. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies, Parent Savers, your parenting resource on the go, and Newbies for new moms during their first year. This is Twin Talks, Parenting Times 2. 
This podcast is a proud member of Parents on Demand, a network of high-quality shows for families just like yours. Download our free network app on Apple and Android and listen to your favorite episodes on the go. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.